Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately? On this show, I look at the week's film news, I tell you what I've been watching, and we get film recommendations and memories from a brilliant guest from a legendary film family. But if I was able to travel back in time, I guess treasure the Sierra Madre, because I could meet my grandfather for the very first time. That's Danny Houston, son of John Houston, grandson of Walter Houston, half-brother to Angelica Houston. Yeah, Danny Houston is my guest today, talking about his new film, The Last Photograph, which sees him back directing as well as acting, and taking us through his film memories as he faces the Sagful 10 questions. We'll hear from Danny and find out what he's been watching after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. Bit of news first. This is the week in which Citizen Kane was knocked off the top spot as the official best film ever made and replaced by, of course, Paddington 2. So, I'm going to ask one of you to come up here and open the fair. Volunteers! Anyone? Meeny, meeny, miny. Bear. Oh, let's have the young bear. Why not? Come, come, young Ursan. Thank you. Up here, my furry friend. Very good, very good. Now, your name is? Paddington Brown. Oh, well, of course it is. You are my new neighbour. You live with Henry and Mary and the great Mrs... Now then, I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. Oh, poo. <laughs> or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. <laughs> well, a man has to eat. Dog food? (laughs) Very, very funny. So this is the story that an old, slightly less than favourable review of Citizen Kane that appeared from 1941 in a Chicago newspaper was uploaded to the review's aggregator site, Rotten Tomatoes. And this slither of negativity has disrupted the algorithmic continuum and made Citizen Kane lose its 100% fresh rating on the site, leaving Paddington 2 as the remaining 100% champion and therefore new holder of the greatest film of all time, or gefote, that's what I'm calling it. What does all this mean? Look, let's take it with a pinch of salt uh, and and, and have a bit of fun with it, because it's nice to see a bloated despot like Kane exit pursued by a bear. And who's got a bad word to say about Paddington 2, frankly? Nobody, not even Hugh Grant. And it's a gorgeous family film with nods to Jack Tatty and Charlie Chaplin and prison movies and musicals and Ealing comedies and, and yes, even Citizen Kane. Where Paddington is all marmalade, Kane is definitely Marmite. He's an aggressive dictator. And Paddington is also an outsider who gets what he wants, but he's a passive-aggressive bear, isn't he? And while Kane searched for his rosebud, Paddington seeks his pop-up book for Aunt Lucy. There are similarities, but either way, the fur flies. Look, let's not forget that film criticism is often a consumer guide. So Rotten Tomatoes reviews, yes, they, they tell you whether a film is positive or not, but it's really more about a film's merits that we should watch it tonight or it makes for a treat on a wet lockdown Saturday afternoon. It's not proper nuanced film criticism all of the time. And perhaps we can blame David Fincher's rather boorish film Mank about the making of Citizen Kane for lifting a curtain on the nefarious personalities of the era and perhaps that lost Citizen Kane a few film fans along the way. It is high time 
that film canon was overturned and disrupted. Any list of the greatest now needs to include female directors, black filmmakers, brown filmmakers, a wider pool of critical consideration as to notions of what's good and bad. All of that will probably result in Paddington, when this is made much more official by whatever means we find. Paddington will be taken down a notch or two, I'm sure. But it is a film that's got lots of diversity and it's got a fairy tale, inclusive, welcoming, pre-Brexit London. For now, though, Paddington 2, we'd off our little red hats to him. Meanwhile, back in Hollywood, Mank a sort of making of Citizen Kane, was nominated for 10 Oscars and it walked away with two at the ceremony while Chloe Zhao's Nomadland won the big three of film, director and actress for Frances McDormand. I've moaned about that film here last week and I moaned about it before because I don't love that film. But it's out now on Disney Plus, April the 30th here in the UK so you can see for yourself and if you're underwhelmed, well, you know, I did warn you. But it's an Oscar winner not releasing in the cinemas which is about as disrupted as you can possibly get. You know, the crowning achievement of COVID and the streaming services resulting in the cinema model being completely turned on its head. The best picture Oscar straight onto streaming. Who'd ever heard of that? Anyway, I think it's interesting to note these two film phenomenon of the digital age, Paddington 2 being the greatest film of all time, and Nomadland, the Oscar winner, appearing on Disney+. Plus. Did you watch the Oscars show? I did. Old bloody thing. What a wholly disappointing TV show that was when you get to 4.30 in the morning here in the UK. It was set in a train station for no clear reason. And it started out quite nicely, directed by Steven Soderbergh, like a heist movie, like one of his uh, of Ocean's 10, 11, 12 or 8. Uh, and with Regina King sort of swiping the Oscar and walking through the station when the sort of credits appeared. But then it petered out into a succession of dull speeches and awkward pre-filmed segments about a Hollywood old folks home. Look, as Jimmy Kimmel joked the next day, how could something so woke send so many people to sleep? (laughs) I laughed more at that joke than anything else that was said on the whole of Oscar night. They had months to prepare, months to come up with something and a script in a year when they really could have done something interesting and no one would have minded given the extraordinary circumstances we're in. It could have made awards shows relevant and rebooted them for the new tomorrow. Instead, they made it feel like a relic. And the lowest viewing figures ever for the Oscars tell you what the people thought too. So we've lost a huge opportunity there to help people understand that film's still vital and important. So listen to this podcast. Look, uh, what was the best win for me? Uh, Look, well done Chloe Zhao for female directing landmarks and all of that. But as I said, I don't love that film. I think Frances McDormand unbalances it with her overacting. I was very proud to see Daniel Kaluuya up there and Anthony Hopkins, who was magnificent in The Father. You can see that June the 11th. Uh, And it was a clearly well-deserved award for a great, great performance from one of the great screen actors. Right, enough of the Oscars. Let's get on with the show and meet my guest. The big interview on Seen Any Good Films Lately is supported by Strike, the distilled drink with all the spirit and none of the alcohol. They were with us all the way through awards season, and I'm delighted to tell you now that that was just the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Do listen out for more Humphrey Bogart a bit later in the show. And Strike, who've now just got two Ks and one Y, will be with us all summer, all the way up to the delayed Cannes Film Festival in July. So remember, Strike is now available in cans. <laughs> we had to do it, didn't we? Go to strike.com, that's S-T-R-Y-K-K, 
and order yours, your bottles or your cans, and put in Jason40 as the discount code to get 40% off for Seen Any Good Films Lately, listeners. Cheers, Strike. The sagful guest today is Danny Houston, scion of a legendary Hollywood family. He was practically born on a film set and has forged a colourful career for himself as an actor in films such as the terrific 90s LA indie Ivan's Ecstasy and memorable supporting roles in The Constant Gardener, The Proposition, The Aviator and Wonder Woman, as well as the mighty TV show Succession. Danny returns to directing now and also stars in The Last Photograph, a very moving, sensitive film set in London about a man who loses his son in the 1988 Lockerbie air bombing. And the memories triggered when a simple bag snatch robbery sends him into a desperate spiral a bit later. What was in the bag, sir? Wow. Tommy? Oh, sorry, am I interrupting? Sorry, you are? I own that restaurant. I'm a friend, rather, I know, Mr. Hammond. If I may continue. Uh, certainly. The bag, sir. Um, 500 pounds in cash uh, for the damn plumber. Book, I guess it is paper. My keys. But I have an extra set. And, uh,. A photograph. So The Last Photograph is a film about memories, fathers and sons, which is very apt for this particular director, of course. And when I caught up with Danny, who was in L.A., despite living half the time here in the U.K. now, uh, I asked him if he's ever had a photograph that he's treasured. A poster I had uh, in, in my bedroom uh, growing up as a, as, as a kid. Uh, was was uh, of of my father and Muhammad Ali, and and uh, and they both had their fists on each other's chins. And it was when Muhammad Ali went to 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 Ireland, and my father was was uh, promoting uh, Fat City, 1972. Yeah, and I had that poster, it was a big big poster in my in my bedroom in, in Rome. Growing up, it was lost uh, when we moved from uh, from Rome to to London. I miss it. I really do. I miss it dearly. Wow, who took that photo? I'm not sure who took the photograph. It would have been a press press yeah. shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How fabulous. <laughs> so yeah, we all have these, I think that we cling to the, they're, they're such powerful images throughout the, you know, that they freeze a memory, don't they? Because you sort of invent a story around the photograph that, that may be not even true. You know what I mean? You kind of go, oh, you remember an experience through a photograph that may not even be that experience sometimes. And, and it can be photographs or objects or, 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 or just gestures, um, mm. places. The character in the last photograph is either lost or, or stolen, but it uh, makes some sort of spiral. And, and in the telling of the story, which is told out of chronology, we understand. Did you get memories, flashbacks of when you were, you know, I know you've been in London many, many times, but when you had that film school, you know, you were film school at the London Film School in the 80s, wasn't it? The London Film School? That's right. Yeah. Did it, were, the, were you flashing back to that yourself when you were remembering shooting this one? Yeah, you know, it was great to get back in the saddle and, and, and direct again. And uh, so it brought all those memories back very, very much. The fun of working with different formats and different cameras. And so I felt like I was a, a student again. 
Yeah, because <laughs> it, it struck me as I was watching it, and I, I meant, you know, sometimes as critics, we sit there and we kind of go, oh, yes, I see he's got, you know, he's very influenced by Godard here, or he's very influenced by this one. And obviously one would say he's influenced by Houston, but I don't think that even the greatest detective could always detect a John Houston movie. Do you know what I mean? Your dad never had a signature style other than it was good stuff with great performances and a tight script. You know, I don't, there's no signature camera movement that you say, well, that's a Houstonian flourish there. That's right. That's right. I mean, um, there were all adaptations of, of, of great books. Uh, um, and he had a really keen eye and was able to adapt and find the essence of the, of, 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 of the story. And that was his style in a sense. But uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're talking about Fat City, I think. I think he went on to make uh, uh, Wise Blood and then Annie. Uh, and then Escape to Victory and Man Would Be King. And then, so these were all different, different films entirely and some were more for himself and the others were more for the studio i guess uh, um, and he was able to play that that uh, poker game with the studio yes yeah, it, it amazes me that i can watch two two of your dad's films with my kids which are escape to victory and annie and they've both seen them you know they've both seen them and they love them you know so i always think it's a bit odd that noah cross could be this guy that creates these sort of endurable family yes. jewels yes yes i agree with you completely <laughs> when you were making it this one in particular is there a is there a voice in your head or that you know that you've heard him shout and echo down through the through the ages or through film sets in your ear when i was very young i had a super eight camera and i was filming i was filming everything I was swinging the lens around and uh he got irritated with me. he said stop it stop it stop it right now uh, he said, when you look from left to right and right to left, what do you do? And so I thought about it. I don't know. I, I give up. What is it? What, what, what does one do? Um, and he said, you blink. That's a cut. Concentrate on what it is you're trying to say and not on all the nonsense in between. It's quite a good life lesson. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, it, it, uh, that was my first film lesson for my father. Have you seen any good films lately, Danny Houston? The father, I like very much. Oh my gosh, I do uh, too. Yeah, I mean, not only because of Hopkins' performance, which is magical, but um, the camera angles, um, the way that we felt the same emotion and distraction and and inability, inability to to make to make connections, and the camera work was quite was quite distant, so it, there was no trickery in, in, in involved, and suddenly you you felt what the characters were going through. Extraordinary. Yeah, I did too. And then Judas, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Just the actual film and the way it's crafted is, I thought, it was just superb. And the question of betrayal—I mean, that's biblical, as the, as the title suggests, wasn't it? I mean, I, just, um, I thought it was a thriller. Yeah. Again, a film that's got many different elements in it. You know, there's a bit of a thriller, a bit of black exploitation, and then there's a bit of you know war, war kind of scenario and politics and courtroom drama. I, Fantastic yeah. stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm, my and, you're my had, two favourites you've picked there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it had it all for me. It had it all for me. And then documentaries, well, the, the Truffle Hunters, uh, um, just the pure eccentricity. It was just marvellous. I just enjoyed it. And the friendship between the men and, and their, their dogs, I thought was really heartwarming. Another uh, of my absolute favourites, Danny Houston. Yeah. What, what marvellous taste <laughs> we both have. <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't. And then Fireball. That may that that might might uh, uh, surprise. I don't know Fireball. Werner uh, uh, Herzog. Um, um, 
and it's uh, cataclysmic um, if, if one's ever concerned about one's point on earth. <laughs> if you're having any existential moments, uh, 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 crisis, uh, uh, I suggest you watch uh, Fireball. It's, it's astonishing uh, about meteors. Oh, wow. Well, Werner, Werner Herzog is always good at putting your existential fears into one little penguin yeah. going off into the distance. So, you know, I, I, I'm up for Fireball. Great shout. Throughout history, meteorites have captivated human imagination. Each one of these stones from darker worlds has its own story. And the bigger ones have changed entire landscapes. They also have left a deep impact on cultures. Our voyage took us to wherever large fireballs had plunged down to Earth. It's a very special place for us. That's where we feel the presence of our ancestors. How might the church react if NASA detects a really threatening object hurtling towards us? I'll be honest, we'll pray. <laughs> What else can you do? Every element in our body was synthesized in other stars before it got here. So, yeah, we're all stardust. Uh, what was the first film you ever saw at the cinema, Danny? I guess the first film I saw in the cinema was uh, in a screening room, um, and it was The Bible. And my father had directed, directed The Bible, and it was a screening for an artist called Manzu, who created the sculpture in, in clay for the birth of Adam. And it was uh, in some screening room. And I was very young. And my mother, uh, um, play, she plays Hager. And there's a kid, but the kid's not me. Um, he's dying of thirst in, in, in the desert. And my father does the voiceover for God. Of course. And so that was, I remember that. Where would that be? A screening room in, in Italy, in Cinecitta? In Italy. In Italy. In Italy, yes. It might have been Cinecitta for, for the artist Manzu, who hadn't seen the film yet. I, I guess that's I guess, I guess that's the first. Now, of course, later, uh, as far as my memory is concerned, from my memory, it would have been um, in Ireland, where there was always a big palaver about about lacing the projector, and the film would either rip or scratch or something like that. The bulb would not go on, and finally, it would all be set up, and the bulb would go on, and a beam of light would cut through the cigar smoke. Uh, usually, my father's cigar. And, and, and there were films like uh, Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Wow. I love that he would show his own films as well. Not, not too modest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a way for me to, to uh, uh, be introduced to my, like my grandfather, Walter Houston, who was any tragedy. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, they're two, they're two of the best films. I, I think, yeah. Fal isn't Maltese Falcon like 80 years old this year? 80 years old. Now let's talk about the Blackbird. Let's. Mr. Spade, have you any conception of how much money can be got for that blackbird? No. Well, sir, if I told you, I told you half, you'd call me a liar. No, not even if I thought so. But you tell me what it is, and I'll figure out the profit. <laughs> you mean you don't know what the bird is? Oh, I know what it's supposed to look like. And I know the value in human life you people put on it. She didn't tell you what it is? 
Taro didn't either. He offered me 10,000 for it. 10,000. Dollars, mind you, not even pounds. Do they know what that bird is? What is your impression? Well, it's not very much to go by. Cairo didn't say he didn't, he didn't say he didn't. She said she didn't, but uh, I took it for granted she was lying. Not an injudicious thing to do. If they don't know, I'm the only one in the whole wide, sweet world who does. Well, when you've told me, that'll make two of us. I think you mentioned a, a film poster that you had on your wall, which I think was a, a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous kind of shout that you made for that one. That's one of the best answers I've ever had. But if you remember a film that changed your life, Danny Houston. I guess... On, on, on reflection, the Bible truly changed my life because uh, I was born in Italy because of it. Yes. Um, you know, it, was, it had a long pre-production and, and, and post-production, so, so as the Bible would. <laughs> um, and, I thought you'd get it uh, so done in father, seven days, couldn't you? <laughs> so, so my father was, was, was in Rome a long, a long time. It was a big, big Dino De Laurentiis production, etc. So that, I guess that... now. The films that uh, affected me growing up a lot were the, were the oh, neorealism. It was, you know, De Sica and Rossellini, and, and those those were the films that had a, a, a real in, impact on me. You know, then of course, of course, my father's films was without doubt. Uh, but um, Italian neorealisms, Rossellini, De Sica. Etc. La Strada by Fellini, Bicycle. I don't know if I, I felt a frisson on, in your in your film, the last photographs. I felt a frisson of Antonioni. Actually, I thought there was a little bit oh. of blow up homage there, a little bit of alienation in the urban setting. Thank you, thank you. And a little and a little nod to Nick Rogue too, with the red uh, coat. With the red coat, yes. There you go. All the all the greats. Why, well, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Did, <laughs> What did you watch for inspiration for the last photograph? Well, I, I knew that I wanted to use archive material, so that's that's really where my re- research research started. I knew I wanted to use Alistair Stewart's voice breaking the story, and I I, I love the way that uh, you know Adam, Adam Curtis uses uses imagery and finds and and the imagery finds its narrative. Yeah. Um, that's, that that was an inspiration. Yes, I see that absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, until you, you're confused, and the confusion that Adam sows by those juxtaposition of images and the doubts that it sows, it must have been exactly yeah. how anyone felt who was involved personally with this sort of almost, you know, almost kind of uh, random crime is what the you know what what, what your character sort of see, see it as. So you had this poster on your wall as a teenager. This uh, this one of Fat City. You must have had a few over the over the period. Do you still have any film posters on your walls? I have uh, um, the other side of the wind, just as you open my front door. It's right there. The new, um, the new one of the new Orson Welles restoration that Netflix did. Well, it wasn't a restoration. It was it was putting it together uh, um, for for the very first time. That was a magical experience for me uh, because I I went I went to the uh, there were some problems with my father's dialogue. It was lost, um, so they asked me to go and dub. Um, some of his dialogue, and uh, and it was one of the most magical things that has ever happened to me. It was spooky, and we did the recordings, and they played it back, and then there he was talking back at me, and he was saying he wasn't saying particularly pleasant things. No, he's not. He's not his <laughs> finest uh, sort of you know incarnation. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's a poster I have up there, and then I and then I have uh, down in my office I have a poster by Miss Ecstasy. Well, is it, and is it the poster with the line of cocaine and the the classic? It's not. It's not. It's the, it's the LA poster. It's got. It's got his uh, face and his 
he's smoking something. And and below him is a is a girl uh, laying by the pool. But it's uh, it's uh, that's a film. That's a film that changed my life. Uh, it uh, started my my career as an actor. It's, the directors paid attention to it. And the next thing I knew, I was working with the likes of Scorsese. But it was because of that film. You know, last night I had this incredible pain. The pain was so strong that I took every pill in the goddamn house. Pill, pills wouldn't do anything. The pain wouldn't go away. So I, so I tried to find an image, one worthwhile image that would get me through it. And all I could find was shit. I couldn't find one worthwhile goddamn thing. If I can take you back in time, you're one of the easiest people to ask this question for, and you could visit any film set, which one would you visit? Now, I know you've grown up on film sets, so it's quite a, quite a quite difficult one, but I don't know, you can go to any one of any film being made. Which one do you fancy visiting for? Well, you know, I, I was I was thinking uh, um, Casablanca would be a great one to, to, to visit, but then it's it's on it's it was Warner Brothers. It was shot in L.A., so maybe not that exciting. So I thought <laughs> for excitement, for excitement, maybe something like Fitzcarraldo, you know, uh, just to go completely uh, adventurous. And then I thought, well, maybe that's too much too much of an adventure. So I guess I guess the one that would be really great to relish uh, would be Apocalypse Now because you could really see the madness sort of unfold that would, that would just be a, a hoot. But if I was able to travel back in time, I guess Treasure the Sierra Madre because I could meet my grandfather for the very first time and, uh, and uh, see my father as a young man and maybe even spot some, some, some others, you know. What's that you say? Go back! <laughs> well, tell my old grandmother I got two very elegant dead fellows who kick at the first drop of rain and hide in the closet from thunder rumbles. My, 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 what great prospectors. Two shoe clerks reading the magazine about prospecting for gold in the land in the midnight sun, south of the border or west of the Rockies. <laughs> Shut your trap. Shut up, Ross. Smash your head flat. Go ahead. Go ahead. Throw it if you did. You'd never leave this wilderness alive. Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats. I'll leave him alone. <laughs> Can't you see if the old man's nuts? <laughs> nuts! Nuts, am I? <laughs> Let me tell you something, my two fine bedfellows. You're so dumb, there's nothing to compare you with. You're dumber than the dumbest jackass. Look at each other, will you? Do you ever see anything like yourself from being dumb specimens? <laughs> You're so dumb, you don't even see the riches you're treading on with your own feet. <laughs> Nuggets of molten gold, rich, but not that rich. And here ain't the place to dig. It comes from someplace further up. Up there. Up there's where we got to go. Up there. Oh, I would love uh, to be on that. I'd come with you on that one. Well, all of those I'd quite like to be on, but the, the Sierra Tread of the Sierra Madre would be, uh, oh, just fabulous. Yeah. Uh, Have you yeah. ever fallen in love at the movies, Danny? Well, who I honestly did fall in love with on and off the screen was, was Ava Gardner. You know, I met her when I was two, I believe. Uh, that, I don't recall it, but I, I'm told by my mother. I met her when I was two on on on, uh, on uh, 
this night of the iguana in Mexico. Mm. Um, but then, uh, um, but then, of course, I saw her on the screen since. And then my mother and I had lunch with her in Montpellier Square. She arrived at a restaurant, Italian restaurant, and she arrived in her doctor shows and hardly any makeup on at all. And and uh, and we had lunch, and I was smitten. Uh, and after the lunch, I said to my mother, "Mom, uh, I think I'm in love." And she gave me a sort of a gentle sort of cuff on the back of the head um, and um, um, said, of course you are. It's, it's Ava Gardner, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classy choice, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to finish up in a minute, Danny. But just before I go, what's your favourite, either your favourite cinema or the favourite place that you've actually ever watched a movie? Yes, uh, Il, Il Pasqualino which is uh, um, in Rome, near a square called the Piazza Santa Maria in Trastevere. Uh, I remember watching many films there, and there were, there were all the English films played, played in the Pasqualino. And, and the, the, the roof would open, and there'd be starry nights in the summer. Wow. Yeah, I remember watching Last Tango in Paris then. It was very shocking. That is very shocking, but a beautiful, a beautiful cinema itself, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful little film, beautiful little cinema. I wonder if it's still if it's still um, um, working. Yeah, you know the the uh, Cinerama Dome closed here. I hear. Uh, yeah, I heard this is this is a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. Cinemas temple. will come. We want to see them on the big screen. We want to get back to cinemas, don't we? We do. Do we not? We absolutely do. What's your favorite location that you've either visited or shot in or seen? in a movie and you just thought, I want to go there. One of the great luxuries of, of, of working on, on films, is the best luxury, is, is travel. Be able to go to places that you wouldn't ordinarily. One of my favorite as a kid was the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, uh, visiting my father there from Manwood the King, and there was, you know, Sean Connery, Michael Caine, Christopher Plummer, it was a Kipling story, and the whole thing was, the, there were the blue people there, it was just pure, pure adventure, so that, that was, that was great. Winton in Australia, when I was shooting The Proposition, that was about as far away as you can get, and that, that was, a, that was a wonderful experience. Weren't you besieged by flies, though? Yeah, I was, I was, but I enjoyed it, and a beer never tasted as good. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yes, I just I like I like it when films take me to places that I wouldn't go ordinarily. Absolutely, Danny. I knew you'd be fantastic at these questions. I could speak to you for hours. Uh, and listen, it's so great to catch up with you and to see your film. Honestly, it moved moved me greatly. I have to say. Uh, very very touching and beautifully done. So congratulations on that. All right, you take care. And the last photograph is available to stream here in the UK now. Really well played and shot with nice work from Sarita Chaudhry. Haven't seen her for ages. And Sagful regular Stacey Martin. OK, what can I recommend? What have I seen lately? Well, there's fashion doc House of Cardin, which is great fun. It's a lovely, lively documentary about Pierre Cardin and his fashions and his designs from the bubble dress of the 50s to the javelin AMC sports car of the 70s, from a theatre to chairs and table lamps and cigarettes. The man was everywhere. Was he too ubiquitous? Did he tarnish the brand by going on towels and electric razors? This is the story of a cultural giant told with colour and breezy enjoyment by directing duo David Ebersole and Todd Hughes, who, I can announce, will be my guests 
on next week's show. So if you want to do your homework, watch House of Cardan. And um, you can also watch the documentary Truman and Tennessee, an intimate conversation, which puts Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams together to examine their work and their public lives, creating a fascinating literary fantasy using archive and their beautiful writing and some of their interviews and then their voiceover. So it's playfully presented by director Lisa Imodino Vreeland. And then it's voiced by Jim Parsons and Zachary Quinto. It's really interestingly done and fascinating to watch with lots of clips of some of the great films that Tennessee Williams has directed. Uh, let's not forget. And that great party scene from Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, Lisa Imodino Vreeland will also be on the show next week and will tell us more. So that's two things to watch. House of Cardin and Truman and Tennessee, an intimate conversation. You can find them both streaming. Uh, you can get them via Dogworth for Truman and Tennessee and uh, the House of Cardin is available on iTunes and Sky Store and various other spots. Meanwhile two very accessible great recommends from me. The first is the Netflix show Worn Stories in which people, normal people, tell you about a significant piece of clothing that has marked their life. This is really clear and simple documentary TV making with humour and love and a great mix of characters illustrating a lovely idea it's beautifully done, created by 20 Foot From Stardom director Morgan Neville and Genji Cohen, who did Glow and Orange is the New Black. It's bright and funny and tender and warm and poignant. And it's got a mix of stories and styles, and I loved it. I guess it's like what we do here, but with clothes instead of movies. In fifth grade, I found this T-shirt. It was responsible for what I turned into. I put on my first pair of heels, and I was like... Oh yeah, this is who she is. Clothing is an art form. It is about expression. I could be a crossing guard by day and a ninja by night. I'm also loving right now BBC Two's series, A Life in Ten Pictures. I've only caught the Tupac Shakur episode so far, but it was brilliant. And it told the story of this actor, rapper, activist, thug with clarity and illuminated what he was trying to do throughout his life. And it had images of him I'd never seen before, including the last one ever taken, which was obviously filled with poignancy. And it talks to the people who took the photos, the photographers. It talks to people who were in the photos, some old friends. It's unmissable stuff. Uh, not only is there a Tupac one in the series, there's a Liz Taylor one and a Muhammad Ali one coming. And I can't wait to watch both of those. They're on BBC iPlayer right now. And when I saw that two-pack show, it was on BBC Two, I think, Saturday night, it was quickly followed by Hip Hop at the BBC, which I think might have been around for a while, but I, I just caught it. It's still on iPlayer for a little while yet, and that was tremendous fun and very well put together. So it was the journey of the, the hip hop from the, when it first appeared on Top of the Pops with Sugar Hill Gang's rapper, Rapper's Delight, introduced by Simon Bates to the progression through that golden age of the 90s with the, the Run DMC and Ice-T gangster stuff with the more playful De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest stuff. And then it went all the way to the centrepiece of the white commodification of the genre when Vanilla Ice appeared on Wogan. And everyone screamed because there was a white guy doing it, you know, and everyone fell in love with it. It's it really well put together without really much commentary 
just telling that story. It's a really fascinating wallow and an enjoyable watch. It's on iPlayer, as I said, and it goes all the way through to Eminem and Dre and up to Dizzy Rascal and Jay-Z. Really enjoyed that one. It's called Hip Hop at the BBC. So let's go out on some hip hop, shall we? from that Hip Hop at the BBC compilation. Thanks to Danny Houston for his SAG Full 10. Thanks to Strike for all the spirit, none of the alcohol. And doing my best Top of the Pops white BBC presenter when confronted with an expression of the black American experience, here's Moni Love. See ya. Down, down to earth and I'll tell you why. For what it's worth, open up your eyes. Greet the birth of the next sunrise. Anyway, besides conceitment, one of the roots of evil, the treatment. Pick up the mud, so how you feel?